Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Mark that passage of Scripture, please, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 4, mark that passage of Scripture, and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're talking about growth. Talking about growth, which is a process. Talking about growth, which is progressive sanctification in our lives. And we're trying to memorize a verse of Scripture out of Philippians chapter 1 that tells us that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? How you doing on that passage of Scripture? You doing okay? All right. Well, let's try it this morning together. We'll start with a reference. Philippians 1, 6, then we'll read or say the, or quote the verse, please, and we will end with the reference again. Here we go. Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6. Growth. Growth in our lives needs to be intentional. Growth in our lives needs to be incremental. And growth in our lives is essential if we are going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Now, in our text today, there's a verse. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there because I have it up here on the screen for you. Verse 15, and it says this. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. It is essential that we be growing. It is necessary that we be taking spiritual steps that challenge us and change us and conform us to the character of Jesus Christ. Now I want to illustrate that out of 2 Peter chapter 1. So are you there? 2 Peter chapter 1. Now verse 3 says, and it's on the screen for us, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you believe that this morning? God has given to you, God has given to me, everything that is necessary to be the kind of people God wants us to be. He's left nothing out. And so you and I cannot say, God, I'd really like to be the kind of person you want me to be, but I can't. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Right? Okay, 2 Peter chapter 1. You there? Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now note, verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, that's growth, progressive sanctification, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, remember what the therefore is there for, It's there because we're to be developing these things in our lives. Therefore, verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election 
For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Growth in our lives is essential. Add to our faith. Develop these qualities to be the kind of people God wants us to be. And verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need to do it. All of the resources that are necessary in our lives to be God's kind of people are there. I hope that encourages you today. It is His Spirit that takes His words and works in our lives. And I trust that as you experience the wonder of God's working in your life, you see your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, your progressive sanctification. Now back to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. I've challenged you to read through the book of Ephesians. I trust that you're doing that. I trust that it is an encouragement to you. I want to begin this morning with verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of, the, of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all obtain, attain to the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, as we read that passage of Scripture, we identified, as I said last week, a couple of groups of people. We identified the servants, and he gave apostles prophets and evangelists and pastors and teaching for what for the perfecting of the saints i walked in this morning and looked at our tree and the saints were gone i knew i'd put them up here last week i thought i'd put them up here last week saints had fallen down and were hiding in the bushes i hope you don't do that Did you note the first pronoun of the verse that we read? He gave. This morning, I want to focus on the one who is the head of the church. The one who is the cornerstone. The one who is our Savior. Because this is indeed the church of Jesus Christ. You and I are his body. We are to function together to glorify Him. Our responsibility is to be challenged and changed and conform to His likeness. That is not cultural correctness. That is the character of Jesus Christ. 
And as we look at this passage of Scripture, I want us to understand that it is indeed the Savior to whom we should look as we share together and as we grow together in Him. We are indeed to focus on the wonder of who He is. Why? Because we are to grow up into Him in every way. Verse 15 of what we read. He who is the head. Now, He is the one who gave to the body. I want you to see His identity given to us here in the book of Ephesians. So to do that, turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, will you please? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, who is the he there that is the head of the church? Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the Lord. I want you to note that he is the head. It is not the pastor that's the head of the church. It's not the deacons who are the head. Can you imagine a body with multiple heads? I mean, get that visual, will you please? It would be a very confusing situation Jesus Christ is the head of the church amen look with me in chapter 2 beginning with verse 19 so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of apostles and prophets remember that built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, that's Jesus Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Not only is the head, but He's the cornerstone. You know what cornerstones are designed to do? Cornerstones are designed to keep it all together. Cornerstones are key elements so that it all stays intact. As long as you and I remember that Jesus Christ is the head and that he is the one who keeps it all intact, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. Jump over with me to chapter 3, please. Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him, Jesus Christ, be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, right? To him be glory in the church, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do what? All to the glory of God. I trust that as we worship together, as we sing songs, as we share, as we minister to one another. I trust that our focus is getting God the glory. 
It's not making a name for us. It's not so that we might be well-known within our community. It's all for the glory of God. Why? Because he is the one who is to be magnified throughout all generations. Jump over to chapter 5, please. Now, you know this passage of Scripture as text that helps us as husband and wives know how to live together. But I want you to note something about Jesus Christ. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Did you notice? Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Our head, our cornerstone, the one to whom we give glory, loved you, loved me so much that he shed his precious blood in payment for our sins. That's the only way we can have a relationship with God. Let that sink in just a bit, will you please? He loved us and gave himself for us. Scripture says we are bought with a price. Let me tell you, it was a price that none of us could pay. It was a price that is beyond, really, our imagination. It was with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And once we recognize that, then we can start to understand something about the one who is the head, who is our cornerstone, to whom we give glory because of all he's done. There's a little chorus. After all he's done for me, huh? After all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? He gave. He gave servants. He gave servants to the saints. But I want you to know in all of that, it's all about the Savior. Amen? Now let's look into Ephesians chapter 4 and see if we can't just get a glimpse, a glimpse of this Savior. Let me begin with verse 7. Ephesians 4 verse 7. By the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, his grace, his gift, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens 
that he might fill all things. Now, while I'm thinking about it, I want you to tie that phrase, fill all things, to the last phrase in chapter 1, verse 23, where it says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, this is all about the exaltation of Jesus Christ. You and I, as his servants, are only instruments in his hands. He is the one who does the work. He is the one who puts it all together. He is the one who fills all things. He is the one who completes the mission that he has called us to. Now, what did he do? Verse 8. Verse 8 is a quotation out of the 68th Psalm. And there David is, is looking at the one who was and who is and who is to come. And here Paul quotes that psalm and it says, He ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He ascended. This is a picture of a conquering hero. One coming home from battle. Now, when did he ascend? After he had descended, right? He was made in the likeness of men and humbled himself, right? And that humility took place at his birth when he was born in a manger back in Bethlehem. The message given to these shepherds was this, for unto you is born this day in a city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. All of that's the great humiliation of Christ. And now God has highly exalted him. He ascended. The conquering hero has come home. What did he conquer? Sin and death and the grave. What did he conquer? He conquered Satan and his schemes. What did he conquer? He conquered the fact that you and I could not save ourselves, but he conquered salvation so that you and I could have a personal relationship with God and be saved. Amen? I, I mean, this is a victorious, conquering hero. This is... The one who, who comes down and, and gets the ticker tape parade. Pro basketball is not my favorite sport. There are a whole bunch of prima donnas in pro basketball, and in my opinion, which counts very little, it's not really basketball. It's just a bunch of big guys shoving each other and pushing each other around. But nonetheless, we just came from Cleveland. Cleveland's still celebrating. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if the Lions won the Super Bowl? Or if the Cubbies ever won the World Series? I mean, that's Cleveland, right? The heroes have come home. Ticker tape parades, crowds. That's the picture here. Can you imagine the scene in heaven at the exaltation and ascension of Jesus Christ? Would you have liked to have been there? I would have. He came home as the one who was the victor, not the victim. Jesus Christ was the victor, not the victim. 
he ascended on high. And what did he do? The text says he led a host of captives. Those who were prisoners of the enemy have now been freed. Now, for you and for me, the realization of this is going to take place at the rapture. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel, trump of God, dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm going by the upper taker, not the undertaker. Why? Because I have been set free. Boy, I thought that would excite you more than it did. I mean, think about it. 1 Corinthians 50, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Thank you. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Understand every day you can walk in victory because it is secured and he has led you from captivity to great freedom. Glory! Well, I don't know about you, but that makes my goosebumps do push-ups. Whew. And graciously gave gifts to men. Now, we've talked about gifts. We've looked into 1 Corinthians 12. We've looked into Romans 12. We've looked into 1 Peter 5. And here again, he talks about gifts to men. Now, we'll talk about the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers, gifts to the church. But he gave gifts to men. You are a gift. You are valuable. Because you are something extra to somebody. That's what a gift is, isn't it? And he gave gifts to men. What's your gift and how are you using it in people's lives? How are you using it to show the honor and glory of God? Who is the head, the cornerstone? You're a gift. I want you to know, and I say this very sincerely, Connie and I believe that God has given to us you as a gift to our lives. Each of you, all of you, you are gifts to me, to Connie. To our ministry. Thank you. But we need to understand God's given us as gifts to those around us to make a difference in their lives. You are something special, and let me encourage you to be something special somebody else and he gave gifts verse 9 
in saying he ascended, that's the exaltation of Jesus Christ, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. The bottom line is that Jesus Christ is qualified to work in the church as the head because he is exalted above all. Now what does this, these verses mean? John MacArthur, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this. The intent, the intent of the phrase, he ascended, he descended, in this letter, is not to point to a specific place, but to refer to the depth of the incarnation. It is interesting that each of the uses of the phrase outside Ephesians can also relate to the depth of Christ's incarnation. He was formed in the womb, lived on the earth, referred to his own burial as a parallel to Jonah's being in the fish, and his death is consistent with the use of the phrase in Psalms. It should be noted further that our Lord's descent went even beyond the womb, the earth, the grave, and death to a descent into every pit of the demons. Peter sheds light on the meaning of he also descended in lower parts of the earth in his first letter. 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but might but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Between Jesus' death on Calvary and his resurrection in the garden tomb, he was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. He was physically dead but spiritually alive. During the three days he was in that state, he also descended and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. This does not refer to the preaching of the gospel but to making a triumphant, remember I said victor, return home, is ascension, triumphant announcement, in this case Christ's announcement of his victory over the demons even while they tried to hold him in death. The point is, to him be the glory forever. Amen. And he did everything necessary to validate the truth that he is indeed the exalted Son of God. He gave gifts to men. Now verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Most commentaries will tell you that these four offices, and I put shepherds and teachers together as one office, and we'll talk about that in a minute, look across the line of history, from Old Testament to New Testament. In the Old Testament, there were 
the apostles, and the prophets. The apostles were those sent on a mission. They laid a foundation. They were like delegates to a convention that after their mission was completed, after their assigned task was done, they were no longer necessary. There are no apostles designated after Acts 16. There is no record of an apostle being replaced when he died. The apostles were there to provide a foundation and to authenticate that foundation as they were sent on a mission. Now, understand that as we move from the Old Testament into the Gospels, we find the life of Jesus Christ and all that he did, but they're still operating under Old Testament theology. You move into Acts, and we have the history book of the New Testament, and they are moving now into the epistles, which is the church age, all right? So we have, have the apostles, those sent on a mission. We also have the prophets, those who spoke revelation. They spoke truth. They expanded the re revelation. Now, there were three responsibilities of apostles and prophets. Number one, they were to lay the foundation for the church. Remember what we read over in Ephesians chapter 2? Built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They were to lay the foundation for the church. Number two, they received and declared the revelation of God's word. And number three, they confirmed that revelation with signs and wonders. The New Testament church was built on the foundation of apostles and pro prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, Ephesians chapter 2. We read that passage of Scripture. I am thankful for the apostles and prophets. He gave them. Christ gave them to us. This is not just New Testament theology. This is across the historical line of all that God intended to do. He gave apostles and he gave prophets. And then in the New Testament, he gave evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Evangelists were the proclaimers of God's word. Philip was an evangelist. You read about him in Acts chapter 8. In 2 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writes to, to Timothy, he says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Tell the good news. Herald the, the good news. Share with people the wonder that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, buried, rose again according to the Scriptures, and you can have a personal relationship with God by trusting Christ as personal. That's good news. I don't care what you hear on Fox News or CNN or local network. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. Amen? And that's what an evangelist does. An evangelist proclaims the wonder of good news. It was a vital, it was an extensive ministry. Some 130 references in the New Testament to evangelist and evangelism. And then he gave to us shepherds and teachers. The word shepherds is translated in other places, pastors. 
pastors and teachers. And I put these two designations together into one office. The word and can be translated that is or in particular. So it would be shepherd that is a teacher. A shepherd in particular a teacher. One who builds into people's lives, one who cares for folks and is willing to present the word of God in such a way that it helps them to grow and develop into all that God wants them to be. Shepherds and and teachers. Now we move to the recognition of shepherds and teachers. And I should have given you the the full outline of this passage of Scripture. I gave it to you last week. I even had a slide up there that I was going to give it to you this week. And I just skipped right over top of it. Sorry about that. But as we grow, the R is a recognition of these people. Now there are three designations in the New Testament and I'm just going to give this to you today, that I believe illustrate the office of pastor, that is, teacher. The first one is that of shepherds and teachers. The second one is that of elders. And the third one is that of bishop. These three designations of pastors and teachers are given to us in the New Testament. Now I want very quickly to see how this is tied together, okay? And so, Chris, I'm going off script here for a minute, all right? There we go. We're there. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. There are two places in the New Testament where these designations are grouped together and we'll look at them next week, all right? 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, so I exhort the elders, the elders who are among you, as a fellow, fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, the word bishop, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you see the three designations there? Verse 1, elders. Verse 2, shepherd, pastors, and the word oversight. And you need to know that the word oversight is the word episcopal, bishop. Now very quickly turn back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is the other section of Scripture that outlines these three characteristics of what I believe is one office. Verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Jump down to verse 28, please. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, 
which he has obtained with his own blood. Elders, verse 17. Verse 28, overseers, there it is again, bishop. Care, that's the word shepherd, pastor, the flock of God. One of the most difficult parts of this message this morning was figuring out how to land this plane. Because I, I wanted to, to get into, and he gave, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And I wanted to identify them. But usually you have concluding statements and you just kind of bring it all to a, yeah, I don't know how to land this plane. But we're going to touch down right here, okay? Next week, we're going to look more into pastors and teachers. And we are going to see not only who they are, but we're also going to understand something about the responsibility that they have. And we are going to look at the requirements that are there in Scripture for us. And we are going to see how there is a great challenge to reveal the Word of God together. Okay? That's next week. If you can't be here next week, you'll want to make sure you go on podcast or on the website because I, I really want us to, to have this together so that we can grow. But growing under the Savior, who is the head, the cornerstone, to whom beyonds the glory, because he loved us and gave himself for us. And all God's people said, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had today just to kind of get started in this passage of Scripture. And Father, sometimes it's, it's difficult to know how to bring everything to a conclusion, and it's, it's, it's such a temptation to want to keep going and, and keep working through and keep, keep learning and studying and developing. But Lord, we know that you have a plan, and we know that you can be depended upon to teach each of us what we need to know so that we can be faithful representatives of the one who is the head, who is our cornerstone, to whom belongs glory because he loved us and gave himself for us. Father, help us in our circumstances not to always look for explanation but to look for the revelation, the exaltation of your Son in every circumstance in our lives. For it's in his name we pray.